Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. I'm David Greenstein, and we are studying Masachat Ketubot, Tractate Ketubot, Daf Kuf Bet Amud Aleph Ve'amud Bet, page 102a and b. This page discusses the first Mishnah of a new chapter, chapter 12, Hanosei Taisha. The Mishnah mentions the case of a person who marries a woman and agrees to support her daughter for five years and discusses the various permutations of situations where his obligation needs to be honored. Before the Gemara starts discussing the meaning of the Mishnah itself, it opens a discussion about verbal obligations and it will then appeal to our Mishnah to see if it can use our Mishnah to help sort out its questions. The basic question is, when a person says that they're undertaking to fulfill a certain obligation, a monetary obligation, for instance, uh, but without executing the proper legal instruments that would seal their obligations, such as a contract or having uh, witnesses, the question is, how seriously should we take the person's language and intent? Is there a way for us to make his obligation not mere words, but legally binding. And the Gemara imagines a number of different contexts in which we could differentiate between those places where the obligation would be considered binding and in other places where we would dismiss the person's words as being not serious. So for instance, Rav Gidal says in the name of Rav, that if two families are meeting at a wedding ceremony, uh, they're marrying off their children, and each, at the, in the presence of the chuppah, the ceremony, will start soon, and they promise to each other various means of support for their children. In such, in such a case, hein hein hadvarim haniknin ba'amira. These are the very kinds of things that can be uh, sealed as obligatory, acquired, simply by means of speaking. In such a case, we attach, so to speak, the words that they say to the kinyan, to the ceremony of acquisition that will happen at the chuppah, and we assume that this is such an important event in the life of these families that when they make the obligations that they uh, state, they realize that the future of their children depends upon it, and they undertake this obligation with all due seriousness. The other end of the spectrum, the Gemara cites a case of a person who intervenes in a fight. He sees that his friend is being attacked by someone, and literally uh, his friend is being choked in the street, and the person runs over to the assailant and says, Stop, 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 don't worry. I will pay you off if you stop choking my friend. 
such a case, it's obvious to the Gemara that the reason that the person says this is simply to save his friend's throat, save his friend's well-being, and he was simply saying that to get the uh, attacker off his friend's back, and his obligation is not taken seriously. But then there are intermediate questions. For instance, what if a person has an obligation, such as the obligation of the Torah to redeem one's son? And he has to pay five shekels to a priest. But what if he says to the priest, I definitely owe you five shekels. And here they are. But he doesn't say that the shekels that he's giving are for the redemption of his son. Rather, it seems that he's saying that he is obligated to give five shekels to the priest, perhaps because of a loan. In such a case, do we say that he has discharged his obligation that already exists from the Torah's perspective? to pay off his son's redemption or not. And we say we don't want people to pay off their obligations to the priests by means of promissory notes, and therefore the rabbis intervene. And they decided that the obligation stands. However, it, the obligation does not satisfy the Pidyon Haben obligation, but rather, it simply satisfies the obligation to pay the Kohen, the priest, five shkalim, and the redemption obligation is still unfulfilled. The question now is our Mishnah, which says that a person who obligates himself to support the daughter of his new wife for five years, why is that obligation considered binding? And the Talmud says this is because it is connected to the teaching we had earlier, that family members, when they are at the chuppah, are obligating themselves under the auspices of the chuppah itself and obligation that they undertake at that time is considered binding. The intensity of the commitment that people feel when they embark upon a marriage and the scene of the chuppah is a place where people's promises are taken totally seriously, is in stark contrast to the other side of the story. When marriages fall apart, when they unravel, then the commitments themselves become points of contention, and our Mishnah deals with fights over child support and child custody. At the end of Amud Bet, a folio Bet, the Talmud tells a hair-raising story of a small boy who was taken under the wings of the family of the, their deceased uh, father. The boy himself was about to inherit the property of the father who died. And the other half-brothers slaughter him on the very first night of his staying with them in order to be able to inherit his property, at which point the Hamlet says we must learn from this and we can't let the small children be in that kind of a situation. Let them stay with their mothers. This rule applies only to small boys. When the boys get older and they can protect themselves, the boys are preferably placed under the custody of the males in the family because they will be taught Torah, they will learn how to live as a male. This is all part of the Talmud's traditional 
male-centered prejudice, and unfortunately a prejudice that influences custodial battles in the rabbinical courts in Israel, for instance, to this very day. However, the, Torah, the Talmud says that Zot Omeret Bat Eitzel Ima. We deduce from our Mishnah that the daughter, as opposed to the son, whether she is younger or older, should stay with her mother and be under her mother's care and guidance so that she can learn how to grow up to be a proper Jewish woman. This categorical statement, however, in subsequent generations was also modified because of sense that sometimes it would be better for the girl to be raised by the males in the family who after all were trusted to be upstanding citizens. In one shuva we have a statement, please let's never uh, suggest, let's never suspect that brothers would slaughter their own sisters. And so the categorical statement of our Talmud was second-guessed by later generations in view of their conviction that it's always better to grow up in the household of the male. Nevertheless, the sources do admit that the principle that guides us is not that the father's household is preferable or the mother's household is preferable, but rather what are the best interests of the child. And in a more liberal setting, therefore, we would be on good grounds to argue that the assumptions that the Talmud and the responsive literature may have been operating under in their times need to be reassessed and reevaluated in our day. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.